Well, good afternoon, everybody. How are you all doing this afternoon? Welcome to the Just Gonna Say It podcast on Dylan Talks Tone YouTube channel. We have a pretty special one today because we have a guest and we're trying a new thing that I've never done before. So hopefully this works the way I want it to work. Uh, but we have a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Steve Starlachi, and he has a YouTube channel. And uh, he is also a touring musician, he and his wife. And uh, I've known him for, well, we'll get into that in the podcast. I just don't want to say everything twice. But uh, just to give you a little kind of uh, rundown, we're going to talk, you saw the thumbnail, we're going to talk about um, using digital stuff in 2023, which I think is really cool. And then the other thing is uh, they have a really different approach to how they have, uh, well, approach their, their musical career and what they, how they're doing it. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but let me just say it is backwards from what most people do. And I think it's worth the look and the attention to understand uh, for all of us who are making content in any way, um, how, how important it is to kind of try to think outside of the box about how you're going to do stuff, which I think is really cool and outside of the box in general. Uh, and then also uh, having an open mind to building your guitar sound, understanding um, the limitations of how you play, all those sorts of things are very, very cool. Uh, but also on top of that, uh, never, ever, ever, ever giving up on anything. Um, yeah. So anyway, I met him, well, we'll get years ago, years ago, and we've kept in touch ever since. And, uh, he and his wife are people that I think are super duper duper cool. So, uh, let's do this. So I'm going to go ahead and we're going to get into this interview. I pre-recorded it, but the chat is still, uh, going to go and I'm pretty sure that Steve is actually going to join us. Yep, he is in there. He is in the chat. So if you want to ask him any questions, if you want to ask me any questions, we are going to be there the whole time. Steve, uh, we, I was just looking through my Google um, photos. And I figured out that I met you and uh, Jessica in 2014. 2015 i think it was 15 yeah i was looking at those the other day too um all like the nam flashbacks yeah 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 fuchs probably um i think it was actually at creations booth was one of the times oh right? it was it was and i was trying to I figure remember. out how i or why i even met you if we just we just ran into each other or something i don't even know i don't remember either i mean Cause just happened a lot of the a lot of times you know you'll meet somebody because it's like oh you were at this booth and you were talking to somebody and then you had a mutual friend or whatever and you ended up meeting or whatever and with you i cannot remember what it is i, I don't I think i can remember either i think if i remember correctly one year you you were doing a giveaway with a cigar box guitar does that sound familiar yep it does i think that might be how we actually first spoke was whatever that booth you were at and then from there just 
kept in touch. And then also in addition to that, I think the guitar company that I don't really talk about anymore from New York had a band. He was sponsoring a guitar player from a band from New York that was doing a showcase on one of the motel, the hotel stages. And you were doing that same stage. Okay. You, that makes you and sense. Jessica were, so I, that, that might be it too. That might be it too. Anyway, uh, it's a weird thing to just run into somebody and then become friends over time. And so one of the things I, I want to talk to you today about, uh, cause I actually don't know. I mean, I listen to your music. So for anybody who's listening or watching, uh, the Jessica Lynn band, you got to check them out. They're a country band from New York, which makes no sense, but they're really good. <laughs> um, and Steve is a killer guitar player, and he also has a really good YouTube channel that I am envious envious of in many ways because your content is so good and different than mine. Uh, you make a completely different contribution to the gear world that, and it's better than a lot of other channels, despite oh, thanks. the current size it. of it. Um, you know, it's not about the size. It's how you use it. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's what, that's what I've always been told. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how did you, uh, how did you get your start? playing guitar and then this Jessica Lynn band thing. And then I want to talk about this history in the last, since I've known you too, because I know you all have been grinding this for a really long time and like not giving up. So like, just tell me your story from, from the beginning till, you know, COVID for example. Got it. So we're rolling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just do okay. random. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were doing like a, a proper formal intro thing. No, okay. no, no. So we're cool. Um, so how did I get started with guitar in general? Uh, my grandfather, it's actually his birthday today. And um, oh, cool. he bought me a guitar when I was 18. I'm a really late starter. So I'm not like your typical story of, you know, I got a guitar when I was 10 and it's been my life ever since. I actually was um, a proficient baseball player. My my first career's passion was uh, playing professional baseball. I wanted to be on the Yankees. Duh. So, yeah, why wouldn't I? <laughs> um, so I wound up getting a scholarship to play in college. And while I was there, I had met my now wife, Jess. And I had like, I had a guitar. I wouldn't say I played guitar. Like I wasn't a guitar player, but I had a guitar. <laughs> I was pretty, uh, pretty bad at it. And then um, by the time me and my wife started kind of dating was my junior year of college. So 21 or so. And I was going to see her cover band. She's been a, a pro forever. She was playing New York City nightclubs when she was 14 years old. So she's the typical, uh, I've been doing this my whole life. I am definitely not. So I would go and see their band play. At the time, they were really busy. They were playing like Wednesday to Sunday. And I would go like pretty much to every show. And I was like, oh, cool. I can be a roadie and um they had a really great guitar player for a couple of years that i would watch and be like that just looks so cool like i i want to do that and i was like i can do that like i'm one of those like people that i feel like there's nothing i can't do not in like a cocky way but because i'm gonna work hard at it and um if you apply yourself you really can do whatever it is but 
a lot of people don't understand what that actually means. But um, that kind of helped me transition my focus as my dreams of baseball were going down. I really started hitting guitar really hard. Um, to be a baseball player, too, you have to be extremely disciplined, like um, practicing hitting off a tee, the most boring thing ever to practice. But you learn to love stuff like that, um, just the way that my crazy mind works. So I just applied that to guitar playing, and I just obsessed. And uh, after a couple of years, guitar players were coming and going in the band, and it was kind of like, you know, can I just get up and play like a couple songs? And it was like, yeah, sure, play a couple songs. And then that turned into being full-time rhythm guitar player. And then eventually as guitar players came and went, um, I was the only reliable one out of the bunch. So that's how I got the job in that first cover band. And then um, I actually wasn't in Jessica Lynn, which is my wife's um, yep, uh, my wife's uh, independent project that she's the singer songwriter for. This was for a cover band before Jessica Lynn even existed. So then Jessica Lynn started and I was just guitar tech because she had a guitar player already in that band like from her childhood like this kid um was in her previous bands and followed her all the way up to jessica lynn long story short i was guitar tech for that and also playing guitar in that cover band kind of building my chops and experience and then he had to move to nashville for work and i slid into the role that's my life <laughs> yeah that's, that's cool. my two minute my what is that four minutes four minute yeah, breakdown uh... of my entire life how far did you make it down the baseball road? Um, I got a, I got my scholarship. I played my four years in college and um, they didn't go as I had planned. So I just got my scholarship. I had a couple of opportunities to play um, independent pro ball, which mm -hmm. is like worse than being a guitar player, believe it or not. <laughs> right. And I think they take home like 200 bucks a month or something. But um, basically, I had a chance to go play independent pro ball. At the same time, Jess's guitar player had moved. And I had to uh, make my decision, which which life of misery would I like? <laughs> and I chose guitar playing. You were dating a singer, so I guess it's not all bad. Yeah, it worked out. And now we've been married six years. Yep. Yeah, no, that's really cool. So do you, because we could just say, okay, well, you're just any... Uh, you're just like any other local band anywhere because everybody's a local band somewhere. But you're doing a, a lot more than that. Um, and one of the things that made me want to talk to you today is when we'll this is going to be let's get to this in a, in a little bit when it makes more sense. But I mean, you're about to do something with Sweetwater and you've been doing some stuff with Sweetwater and they don't just mm -hmm. call any local band from somewhere. So you've been grinding this for a really long time. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, like you said, everybody's local to somewhere, but not that we've, I wouldn't say graduated or are above being local, but everything that we do pretty much is completely opposite of local now. Um, there's really only one or two venues that we even play in New York. So a lot of what we do is actually overseas in Europe. Um, we spend like months at a time in Europe. We'll be over there for like three or four months straight um, doing headlining shows, doing festivals, all with Jessica's original music. And just the New York scene is tough. I mean, the, it's, if you're not doing covers, you're not getting as many gigs. So it's hard to find that niche for original, like actual original artists that are not signed to major labels and playing in, you know, 
bigger places. This is why I asked you that because the normal course for a band in your position, it would probably be in your genre would probably be like play your butts off. Um, try to meet somebody and network with somebody in Nashville, maybe get on some songwriting gigs, maybe do that sort of thing and do try to do the whole Nashville thing. And I, I don't know if you've tried that, but you, um, just because nobody who's listening to this has ever heard of the Jessica Lynn band doesn't mean they're not doing anything because you're doing most everything in Europe. So it's backwards and upside down from what most people would do, which is what intrigues me about the whole thing. How did all that, where did that come from? So when Jess, you know, we did a couple of US tours where we were kind of doing the regular thing, like you just said, um, applying to festivals and figuring things out. Um, it's amazing. The, uh, what festivals offer you as an independent artist in the US is honestly, it's, it's like criminally low. So I remember like our first touring gig was like a uh, country jam in Montana or a big country festival in Montana. And it was like, yeah, we'll give you 500 bucks and you could open up for uh, Keith Urban. And we're like, okay. We just said yes. And then we're like, how the hell are we going to get there? <laughs> oh. So that kind of started the, uh, the touring life where, and I mean, my wife is like the craziest person when it comes to uh, work. She's like an absolute workaholic. So her and her dad actually, who plays bass in the band, just went nuts booking stuff around it. So we would take these anchor dates of big major festivals that were the classic exposure bucks and um, hit that in the States. But I wouldn't say that we were generating um, income for those first couple of years in the States. And then um, we had filmed a couple of concert specials where we basically just rented a camera crew and filmed our live concert and uh, put that out to PBS, kind of like what Joe Bonamassa did, if you're familiar with his stories. Um, he had done the same thing where he wasn't signed to a label. He was just doing his own thing and put out a couple of concert specials and that kind of kickstarted everything. And then everything in Europe came from a cold email. We thought it was like Prince of Nigeria offering us $5,000 in a suitcase at first, but um, it's we got this broken email in you know half English that was like, uh, Jessica, very big star in France, uh, would like to bring her here for a music festival. So we're like, you just think it's a regular spam email. Like, is this legit at all? Yeah, of yeah. course. It's the first question you ask when you get a broken English, uh, email, but it turned out being real. Um, he's actually one of our really good friends still to this day, but he brought us over there for one festival called, uh, the American journeys festival. We went there, we headlined it in front of like say like 15, 20,000 people. And the way it works in France and Europe in general, and why we're so successful over there, I think, um, festival buyers don't see it as competition. They don't see it as nickel and diming everything. So not that they pay extraordinary, but they are an economy, uh, not an economy. They are, um, a community. So at that festival were 10 festival buyers for other festivals. That would, it's, it's common sense. I mean, Hey, there's an American act playing here. I have a festival every year too, that maybe I can get her for my show next year because, you know, usually festivals don't bring back the same talent two years in a row. So a bunch of buyers were there. And then the guy that hired us initially had other gigs that he started putting us on and it just snowballed. Wow. 
That is it's, it's organic. Yeah. And then does that, um, cause I see like, you know, of course I keep up with you both. So I see, you know, either you or her will post on Facebook, like, you know, when a new single comes out that it does really good on some obscure chart in some European country. So, you know, like we think billboard over here, but I think as living in America, we think, well, if you're not big here, like America's we're, we're pretty, you know, self-centered about all that stuff, but trying to understand that some obscure country that I've never heard of before, she's number one over there. When a single comes out, does that translate then into um, like record sales and other stuff outside of just that festival circuit? Then it must, yeah. right? Yeah, we we don't just do festivals over there. I mean, in between the festivals, we fill up clubs over there. Um, really cool. I mean, I don't know if you saw. Um, I have a tour vlog of our setup in one particular venue in Germany, mm-hmm. and like it's just literally in the middle of a neighborhood. Like it's like. it's literally in the middle of nowhere, like just a residential neighborhood. And then there's just this club. The first year we played there, there was like five people there. You know, it was just like, Hey, we got a gig, let's do it. And now in the vlog that I posted, it was like sold out packed to the back, you know, standing Mm -hmm. room only. So it was cool to see um, that type of thing aside from just the festivals. So do you sell out like the chance in Poughkeepsie when you play there? We actually do. Yeah. Do you we really? The chan- yeah. We, you've been That's to the chance, nice. dude. So I lived in New York from 96 to 99. Really? Yeah. I lived, um, on the East side of the river. I lived in uh Rhinebeck red hook. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not. How, how did that never come up in any of I our, don't I don't know. Um, yeah, I lived in Rhinebeck red hook and I, uh, I worked down a little further south on the other side of the river, but um, yeah, so I, that's, that's where I was. And so, I mean, I went to basically, I mean, I've seen everybody at the chance in Poughkeepsie like that to me was one of the coolest places. And uh, I've seen like random things. Like I saw Limp Biscuit in New Paltz. Nice. I saw, you know, there's all these, that little that area right there is back then anyway was really very record story and very like good music just kind of popping out of everywhere. I played in a band in Newburgh um during that time. And yeah, so yeah, it's a very it's a cool place. It was then. I don't know what it's like now, but it it's still similar. It's very um very rootsy, not very industrial. Yeah. And um yeah, the chance is still cool. I was just there. Um, you a bowling for soup fan? Oh yeah, I saw. Um, and we're actually, you know, pretty good friends now. Jared was doing a, an acoustic uh, duo tour, and he was in the upstairs room at the chance. So I got to go there recently. My my biggest like claim to famey thing around that whole area. This is nobody knows this because there was nobody there. And I don't know if it's even verifiable at this point, but I was practicing. I've got plenty of stories like that. I was practicing with this band <laughs> is kind of in this storage unity sort of basement area. And um, corn was somewhere. I, I don't know where they were playing, but they were rehearsing next to us and like around us. And so I got to like hang out with them, sit in with them. That was like the weirdest 
random, just little thing. But I remember that whole that whole time was really cool in New York. Yeah, I, I guess I never told you about. It. I don't know why I never brought that up. But yeah, I, I, that when you said the chance, I was like, what? <laughs> hmm. I have so Yankees. Um, people give me a heart. Everyone who's a Yankee fan, a hard time. And I'm not, obviously I'm not from New York. So why would you be a Yankee fan? But I'm actually from um, Michigan. And when Cecil Fielder went as a kid, when Cecil Fielder hit 50 home runs in a year, that was the first time anybody ever did that. And then he went to the Yankees and I immediately became a Yankee fan from the Tigers. And so then when I moved to New York, of course, that was their hot years. So I got to go to the 96 World Series, the 98 World Series. Like, you know, I was I have all the hats from all the uh, I was there, too. Yeah, that's really cool. I, except I was I don't have much memory of it because I was six years old and eight years old. Oh, really? OK. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my it... we had we had season tickets. Um, my family bought the Sunday home game package from 96 to 2000. Pretty good years to have had. And um, that included like one World Series game. And so we got to go. We're actually at both Clemens Piazza games with the with the ball and the bat being thrown at each other. Yep. And um, yeah, Jeter's first World Series. It was I wish I had like actual memories of it. But like I said, I was six years old. So. Just so, so small. Yeah. No, that's really cool. So. So now you're you're playing music and you're in this. Um, I mean, all through this, you must be like painting houses or something, right? Like, what are you doing? What's your real job? Or are you just trying to make it go with just music this whole time? So, I mean, I would say music is the primary um, YouTube demos and stuff like that. A lot of the other stuff I do is actually baseball related still. So I give private lessons for baseball. I coach um, college bound kids like I coach like high level high school kids that want to play in college or the next level. And um, that's like most flexible with touring because. I could just be like, hey, I could do all winter. Um, like right now, I've got winter training with these guys all the time. And that's just out of passion. I've coached a varsity high school baseball team the last eight years. And um, yeah, just keeping busy with stuff like that. But music is pretty much the primary thing now, huh? Yeah. Between music, like the demos and you know how much money you make on YouTube. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're balling. <laughs> We're balling over here. Just, just rolling in it. Well, I mean, when you make a video, like, I don't know, all the pedals off of Amazon and it does a bajillion views. I was like, I was so jealous of that, man. I was like, me too. Cause I can't, I can't recreate it. So I'm jealous too. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. And I don't like these podcasts to turn into like two YouTubers uh, reminiscing about being YouTubers. But one thing I will say is. I just feel like I need to talk about dumber stuff. Like it, it just feels like the more random, like the random dumb stuff. It just seems to do the best. I don't know why. It's so but. frustrating. Cause like, I'll like demo like this, like black star um, sent me this for a demo. And uh, this was a, a paid demo for this. It's a expensive setup. It's a new thing. I'll do things on like my 63 fender basement. I'll do stuff with like a Soldano. And it just doesn't take off. Like it, yeah. it's so frustrating. Like I demo my sir. It's like a three thousand dollar custom sir that they built me, and it just gets nothing. But like you said, I I demo, I buy an entire set of Amazon pedals that are, you know, they're mediocre at best. They're fine. It's got three quarter million views, and I I can't 
I can't replicate that success on anything. I had another one do a quarter million views, which of all things is a $189 guitar. Yep. It's a Firefly 335 like t- style, which is actually a stick guitar. Like that, I will actually, I'll stand by that. If you actually play mine, like it's a really good guitar. And that did like 250K views. And then everything else is in my niche of digital modeling users and um, stuff like that. That's been my more successful videos. Those two outliers, I just can't do again. (laughs) So I've seen your um, rig evolve, obviously. Uh, since 2015, because I do pay attention. We don't talk every week. Of course but, we do. But I, everybody <laughs> pays attention to the other person's pedals yep. and what I do pay is. attention. Um, so what are you using? Like if if you're playing a gig close enough to home where you can take everything you want, what does that look like? What does your Europe rig look like? Or because you're are you big time enough to have an AB rig, one in Europe and one in here? Or are you? No take it your fly date and stuff right so so what um pretty soon it's gonna happen you're gonna you're gonna have an a a b rig over there actually what it's gonna be is you're gonna have an a rig in europe and a b rig in the states probably yeah that's probably how it would wind up working out yeah what is your what does that look like for you right now it's gonna be very not exciting because i i don't like ever acting like a fanboy of anything and I know people have their own issues with like a Helix or something like that, but the Helix is honestly just the best thing for me. I think it sounds perfectly fine. I use it on every single gig. It's just so much easier and we do everything. We're, we're silent stage, so everything's in-ears. Um, maybe if we if we were doing gigs that were uh, that were not silent stage, then I'd probably have I'd probably bring out something else. I, I don't even know. But um, I bring the Helix to everything. And I started bringing the FM9 out, um, the Fractal FM9, which is cool. I, I really like it. It sounds really good. People will tell you that it sounds miles better than Helix. I don't think it sounds miles better. I think they all sound as good or as bad as you can make them sound. I think with these modelers, a lot of people just expect them to be um, like an amplifier where, hey, I could just plug this in and it sounds great. All of them take a little bit of massaging, but Fractal just takes a little bit less. So between the fractal and the helix, I mean that's that's what I take. What about my guitars? life's easy? That is a ever revolving door. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because that's that's my only freedom of uh, of expression is different guitars. So uh, where do we start? For Europe, I pretty much I'm a, a endorsed artist for Iconic Guitars out of um, out of California, and that's been a while, right? That's what you were playing when I met you in california so cool story i mean if those of you that don't know who iconic is they've actually become really really successful um he's ghost building for a lot of people too he's got a lot of really good stuff going on makes some of the best guitars um so i met him at nam the same nam i probably met you at in 14 or 15 and he was walking around nam with two guitar cases no booth just literally shaking hands with people saying hey I make guitars and um, we met, we hit it off. He came to our hotel and we hung out and jammed and just BS in the lobby for like four hours. And that's how I started with them. My butterscotch telly is serial number two. And um, 
since then I have a blue one now, uh, like a Keith Richards setup with the humbucker neck can split coil and, um, five-way switch. So regular telly bridge and, um, humbucker neck. And that's been like my number one road guitar that comes with me to Europe, the U S that's like, I don't, it's not that I don't worry about it. Like, it's not like I'm like, Oh, I'm not, I'm careless with this, but whenever I just need something that's super reliable, it's that one. And it just does the thing. It just does all it, the things you need to do. So you just don't worry about it. Yeah. So that's definitely, um, for the road, number one. And then I um, can attest to how much he likes this guitar for people that are listening and watching. I, um, I remember when you, when I met you and you were playing that guitar and I was in very salesy mode cause I was just getting started. And I remember thinking, I'm not even going to try to sell this guy anything, or I'm not even going to try to like, we're not even going to go down that road. Cause you were like so enamored with that guitar, like, and uh, still are apparently. So yeah, it's very real. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, when you find a good one too, it's like, especially when you spend a lot of time on the road, Cause like, whether you think so or not, something will go wrong with your gear when you're on the road. And when you find a piece that doesn't go bad, like the, I guess that's probably why I take the helix with me everywhere too, because it's just never been a problem. And like the worst thing ever is a problem. You're on a festival stage. You have like seven minutes to drop all your crap and sound check. You don't want to be like, Oh, my volume pot's scratchy or my guitar is my input jack not working. Like, you just want to avoid as much of that as possible. So when you find something that proves itself, you just stick with it. Because do you have a guitar tech? Not usually. Yeah, yeah me. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, you play a Les Paul too, right? Yeah, so that's the other... Um, where my heart is, is a Les Paul. I'm a, I love Les Pauls. But touring with them overseas and the way that we travel, it's just, I wouldn't do that. My Les Paul custom is like a super rare vintage one from 79 that, um, it's, I literally got it. You'll, you'll like this story. I don't know if I ever told you the story of how I got it. I saw it on Instagram, uh, guitar shop, very famous guitar shop posted this one-off custom. And at the time I had literally no money. I was fresh out of college and they put it up for, $2,000. And I was like, a Les Paul custom for that. I was like, I can sell it tomorrow for that. Cause so, it's like an interesting, like really like unique burst thing, right? Like it's yeah. a different color combination that you just never see, especially on a deluxe. If I remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a custom. Not a I'll go get it. Hold on. Or, yeah, I'll be custom. right back. Okay. I'll be right back. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. So he's got this, this guitar that I don't know that anybody I, I've never actually even seen one like it before. So and speaking real quickly while he's gone to the um, love he has for those iconic guitars out of California. No joke. Uh, when I met him in that hotel, we were talking about guitars. and Yeah, he loves it. Yeah, it's orange. I was it's orange. I was thinking it was orange. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, and it, like a triple A top, too. Or more. Yeah. Oh, and back. Yep. So flame maple back sides. The back of the neck is all maple. It's um, like applied neck too, like a late five layer neck almost. Yeah, it's a five piece neck. Um, is this gonna come out? Yeah. Wow. That's so it's cool. It's got classic Norland era uh volute, but 
who gives a crap um so i was like this guitar is like so like gaudy and fancy that for them to put it up for for 2000 i was like this is i could get my money back at least if it's a dog right so i had oh it's in perfectly in tune really nice <laughs> um so i literally begged borrowed and stole um spent every dollar i had on it and like begged my parents for a couple of extra bucks to to get there and um i bought it they sent it out to me i was like this is the greatest thing ever it's got a bunch of things like i don't know if you could see under the um under the tailpiece there's a a route for a floyd rose what yeah, it's been filled in, but if you look close, you can kind of... I can see it. Yeah. I sure can see it. So that was um, expertly filled in. I mean, nobody has ever been like, hey, what's that? No one's ever noticed that. So the guitar's been fiddled with a little bit. So people, th there was no collector value or whatever. That's probably why you got it. Yeah, they call them a chopper. It didn't have the original pickups. Um, there's also like a like two holes in the headstock where they i guess they drilled the nut in for the floyd rose oh yeah so then a few years later i didn't even know i still didn't know they they told me it was one-off custom they don't know what it is they don't really have any information and i don't think cared they were just like whatever it's a cool guitar put it up for sale um people started commenting on pictures of it from instagram that it looked like the one neil sean played in the any any way you want it music video and um if you pull that up, you'll see him playing one of these. It's the only other one I've ever seen. Oh, what wow. he, um, he put white plastics and, uh, and Amber knobs. But if you see one scene, he goes like this, you'll see that the back are still black. Oh. So he had the same guitar. He just put a real tailpiece. Um, he put a PAF in and swapped the plastics out. That was my only lead was, Oh, Neil Sean played one in the any way you want a video. And then I found one for sale on G base. So the third one, I guess, technically, um, this guy had an ad up on G base that he bought it new, had a bunch of information on it. I actually spent $20 to call him long distance in Nova Scotia. And he told me the whole story of what it was when, um, when Gibson sold it to him and he had the measly price tag of $30,000 on it. What? So I, I was wonder like, if he ever got that. I don't know. It's not for sale anymore. It's been the ads either been pulled and I've never seen it posted again. Wow. I doubt it, but I mean, yeah, he said when they came out because of the, because of the maple and because it's like, it was like, uh, the Les Paul it was called or like the artisan. Those were all like those Norlin era experiments that this would have been seven and a half times the price of a stock black custom or a white custom. Wow. So that's, I guess he's figuring that it would still be seven and a half times that price. Again, who knows? I mean, the guitar's worth whatever somebody will pay for it. So, dude, that's crazy. And, and you're never going to break the peg head with a laminated neck. So, well, they say that it, he, one, per, he told me that it, he thinks it's carbon fiber, but then it's most likely walnut. I mean, I would think that like a Gibson L5 neck or something like that. Like mm -hmm. this guitar, um, you ever watch Five Watt Worlds? Yeah. Keith Williams videos. Mm -hmm. He fe he featured me and um, and this guitar on his uh, on his show, and he was talking about the Les Paul L5 necks that have the walnut strip 
So it's really dark though. It could be ebony, it could be carbon fiber, it could be walnut. It's most likely walnut. Crazy. That is very interesting. Um, is it like 12 pounds? It's actually only 10.3. <laughs> oh, well, that's not terrible. I mean, I know it's heavy. My so I just got my first one. I've never had I a less ball. Yeah, yeah. I saw. And I think that you had an SG for a while. I still have it. It's you right do. there. Yeah. Oh yeah, there it is. Yep. I um still have I so I just got the Les Paul. Leslie was, you know, Leslie's like a huge slash fan. And we were at Sweetwater a couple years ago and she's like, you know, I know you're gonna get a Les Paul anyway, but if you do, you should get that November burst because November Rain is her favorite song ever, like in the world. So, Did you see uh, my other Les Paul? No. <laughs> No, it's a tobacco. It, it's a tobacco burst. It's it's an old one, but go oh, on. Yeah. Sa- sa- same exact reason. So yeah, I mean, it was just you know, and uh, we had just come out with these new pickups, um, these El Nico two pickups that were basically like, we call them the Thruxton. They're basically based on those pickups, and I was like, I want to own that guitar for that reason. So I just got you designed it. a pickup of- around your purchase. Well. <laughs> So sometimes I'll buy a guitar and the excuse is I'm going to develop a pickup with that guitar, but 99% of the time the pickup comes out before the guitar gets here and then I'll just buy the guitar anyway. It's kind of what happens. I'm trying to slow down. Like I'm really trying to slow down, but how like we much, all are. how much review gear do you keep versus, I mean, you play a helix. So like you have no need for any of it. Except for fun, I guess. Right. So, how much do you um, keep around? When I'm here, I like plugging into everything. Um, I'm just one of those people. I don't know if I just don't have enough of it yet. I don't feel comfortable selling stuff yet. I mean, mm. I at least give it a give it a couple of years or so, just in case. God forbid, a company's ever like, "Hey, uh, we we paid you for this demo. Can you give us something else?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, I sold it." You know, I'd feel like a yeah. complete, complete ass if I'd ever did that. Yeah. Um, but I, I try to diversify my content. I don't want to be pigeonholed into just being the Helix guy or just being like, I have the quad cortex. I've got the fractal, but then I also have a matchless DC 30, a Soldano SLO 30. <laughs> and I have a 63 baseman head that's right over there. So, so in- I don't. Yes, you have everything. I am, uh, I'm like the anti of both worlds. Like usually the vintage experts will never touch the modeling stuff and the digital people will never touch the real stuff. So I just try to try everything. That's how I am. I'm like, look, if, if it's good enough for every Nashville session player, um, guys that I look up to it, guys like even Tim Pierce, the LA session guys, the Nashville session guys, then I'm thinking, I should give it a shot. That's my dream one day is to be one of those guys. So mm-hmm. if I could, if I could already have the tools ready to go for when that opportunity comes, if it ever comes, <laughs> but I've just, I like to, I like to learn and I like to experiment and I like to try. So, um, what are you, what are your main like profiles and stuff that you're using? I think you talked about this in a rig video recently, but for those that have not followed your channel yet. Um, first of all, go follow his channel. Second of all, um, what is your 
I know you have like one of everything in real amps. So what are you using in um, the digital side? For the Helix and the Fractal, I make presets from scratch. Always. Really? Yeah, I, I use what's there. And um, the FM9 that I have can't do, like if you have an FM, uh, not FM3, if you have the Axe Effects, the rack version, mm-hmm. that can do like a tone capture where it'll do a corrective EQ and shoot you an impulse response for a tone match. So you could plug in your amp, mic it up, and then- Like a Kemper. I, it's sort yes of. and no. It's okay. just the e, it's just an EQ curve that it puts into an impulse response that you attach to the amp model. Okay. So it's not profiling. And then, okay. um, yeah, I, but I don't do that. <laughs> I don't have the, I don't have the rack unit. I just have the FM nine. So I just make stuff from scratch. It sounds great. I mean, there's like people get so caught up about what sounds best and what sounds good and what like, Oh, well, do you really think that this sounds better than that? I'm like, if you suck, you still suck on any unit. Like <laughs> that's what, that's what people don't get, I guess, about gear in general. Um, they're just like, Oh, is it, is it worth the upgrade from helix to go to quad cortex? I'm like, if you suck, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> because if you're looking for a piece of gear, that's going to be like, Oh, I'm finally going to sound good. Then you're not going to find it, man. So, wiser words were never spoken. Don't say them too loud. Cause that makes you and I job both pretty much irrelevant, but it's really true. Well, people like to make educated decisions when they buy a piece of gear. So right. if I can help facilitate that, I try to be level headed and fair with all of my reviews. And I say, I'm the first one to say that, like, I'm not an endorser of line six. I don't, they, don't get me started. They won't sign me, but <laughs> they're 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 still good to me. Um, I'll never say that one is better than the other, just because out of fairness. Yeah, I don't I don't owe anybody an opinion. Right. You know, that's my opinion is always going to be mine. So I'm. Yeah, I'm always fair. And that's something that's really hard to articulate to people that watch your videos is that at least it is for me because you're always a paid shill according to everybody. And it's like, it's really hard to just be like, no, I just want to try stuff. And if I like it, I like it. And, um, I'm really on this kick lately, especially there really is no, unless you get into like the knockoff, knockoff, knockoff stuff. And you could really go down a rabbit hole with that, but take the big brands, everything we're pretty much used to there really is no bad gear in in now. That's what's you're, you're exactly right. It's hard to find bad gear. It's, it is, it's not like, you know, I guess it's the older generation too. That's like, Oh, it has to be this, or it has to be this vintage thing. It's like, (laughs) you could try so much stuff. And if it works, I'm sure you could find something that sounds good. Um, what made you originally make the leap to digital stuff? Cause I'm assuming you went to digital stuff and then started making videos about it and not the other way around. So Correct. why did you, I probably already know the answer to this, but this is a podcast. So we're going to talk about stuff. Why did you be like, okay, I got to have a modeler now. Because the first, the first international dates we ever did, I was bringing, um, my real, I had a really nice creation music, little pedal board. 
and you know they had a good backline amp so i was like oh okay that's fine and then when we were going to europe um we do we're totally independent so everything that happens we do in-house so we would be getting emails from venues saying like in europe like yes we have backline amp okay well what what do you have we have fender amp oh and we're like okay <laughs> fender okay but and you don't want to like keep is it going a champ or is it a twin <laughs> And most of the time it's like a front man 212 or a Princeton chorus. And I was just like, do I want to risk this? And mm -hmm. um, when the other part of us being international, Jessica also, um, I don't, I don't want to say recruited or she connected with a, a pretty famous producer in Belgium. And we basically went there for like a songwriter week and he produced three songs for an EP. And their guy is like the number one session player in Belgium. He plays on the voice. Like he's like the it guy over there. So on tracking day, I was expecting like the rig. I was expecting like the Nashville, like the three heads in the, in the rack, the gigantic pedal board, the 30 guitars. I'm like, I can't wait to be involved in this and see it. And he shows up with an XFX three plops it on the floor, puts it on the floor and two double gig bags and I'm like digital what <laughs> and he's like I use this on 99% of everything and I was like it was like well if this guy is it saying this if he's the one saying this then and seeing him play all weekend was awesome because the guy's killer so I was like maybe I should <laughs> maybe I should dip my toe in it and then, yeah, for the tour, the backline situation, I was like, I could just get something and it'll just sound the same every single night, no matter what. I might have to be a little less selfish on stage based on monitoring situation, but that's also a sacrifice everybody's having in the band because the drummer doesn't know what kit's there. Um, Jess doesn't know what floor wedge is there. So it's just a sacrifice that you make when you travel independently and don't bring your own stuff. So it just made the most sense to have something that'll be sounding the same every single night. And it fits in a backpack under the seat, more or less. That helps. Traveling yeah. light is huge when you tour like we do. I mean, like I said, we're independent, so we don't have the big glamorous tour bus and the gigantic trailer. Um, usually in Europe, we're just renting a sprinter van that we need to be as compact as possible. So everything you do down to right now, all this big stuff you're doing, you're 100% independent, no label. Yeah. Never what have been. Is, wow. Wow. What does that take on the, you said, Jess, I know she works her ass off. What, what does that take on the daily? Like, you know, in busy season, what, what are you doing every day when you're not playing? Cause she's got to just be on the phone and emailing like constantly to keep everything going. Right. I always joke that I have to drag her out of the office and, and hose her down because she doesn't even stop to bathe. I'm like, you've got to eat. You've got to rest. Like she'll just keep going. If something needs, if there's something she's got to do it. Like she's just, she is like the least procrastinated procrastinative you know what i mean i do the least <laughs> the least procrastinative person if that's a word we're gonna make it make one up 
that I've ever met. It's like, if an email comes in, she's like, oh, if an email came in, that means that they're in the office right now. I'm replying this very second so that they definitely get my email back. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, and then they don't write us back for like a week. And she's like, <laughs> gets all pissed. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, what about how much do you use? Um, so this, this, this is just a, like a sort of an inside baseball question, but I think people need to understand how much work this is. And especially in our industry, people are a little old school on stuff. How much social media, um, is social media responsible for what is happening right now? Like what is your social media game like on the weekly? Oh, for Jess, it's a lot busier than me. I mean, I don't know how she does it, but between booking the tours and negotiating the deals and working on logistics and doing literally everything for our tours, she also posts on all her social medias three times a day, like clockwork. And that's what it takes to really grow to the point where she is on social media. But I don't know. It, it makes you it makes you more appealing when you're pitching. So if you're going to be mm-hmm. pitching yourself as an artist, you want to be able to say people like me <laughs> and it, without saying, oh, people like me, you have a quantitative number that you can present to them. I have X amount of followers. I have X amount of subscribers. Yep. No, so that it, it it helps, but it also goes hand in hand. Um, you know, a lot of it's organic again, where you go and play a festival and people follow you from that. You go and play shows, you open up for a band and. Does she have know. to do it differently because Europe? Cause I feel like, no. okay. I was wondering about that. Cause I feel like, I mean, I'm not saying I don't, cause I do keep up with y'all, but I don't, um, I don't, I don't feel like she is a, eh, you know how some people can just like appear like they do nothing but live on social media all the time and they're just constantly in your face. And she's not like that. She's really effective. So I I didn't know if that was because I was not seeing her stuff because it was more tailored to the other side of the world or if it was just because she was good at it. But she also, she posts, she posts like a musical, a music artist. She's not posting, you know, in cut off, like with her ass cheeks showing and stuff like that. Like she's, right. she's being an artist when, and a professional when she posts. So right, it's not, right. uh, oh, here's another selfie for the thousandth time in a row. Yeah. Well, I guess I see more of that stuff being friends with y'all. Cause I see more stuff about the dog and this and that, which is different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The personal pages are all about the dog. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. So, uh, Tell me about this Sweetwater gig because you've been there a couple of times, right? Uh, so how, what's all evolving with all that and how to, and tell everybody what is going on, plug it a little bit, I guess too. So we are doing, and it's the, it's the Friday before Nam. So I'm actually going to be flying from Indiana to Anaheim on Saturday morning. Um, they, we, I'm not exactly sure. This is our. This will be our third time there. The first time we were kind of just passing through. And I think we just reached out and we're like, hey, we're passing through Indiana. We see that you guys do all this cool stuff. Like, would you have us? And they're like, yeah, we'll book you on. I think I think it was like their lunchroom cafeteria stage, which sounds awful when you say it, but it's Sweetwater, don't forget. And yeah, if you've never been there. It's super cool. 
it's yeah. it's crazy it's it's outrageous everything there like and we're like okay well we're playing their like the break room stage like what like what 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 is this but it was it was open to the public like where people can come in and um it's like it's as weird as it sounds, it's like a cafeteria, but it's almost like um, a food court of a mall-ish type of thing where mm-hmm. people come and go and there's a lot of foot traffic and it was open to people to come in. So we were able to to promote it and it was cool. It wasn't like a, oh shit, this was awesome, but it was good. Right. And that just kind of started our relationship with them. So then again, last year we were passing through and we were supposed to play a show, like a regular concert, and somewhere along the way, they were like, why don't we do something a little bit different and do a let's video you in studio playing live in Studio A and do a live recording session and like literally just take us live, film it professionally, and you'll have three songs professionally filmed in Studio A at Sweetwater. So we're like, that's going to get us way more miles than a regular concert. Yeah. So we opted for that. And we just went into their live room, Studio A, which is crazy, working with Sean, their engineer, who's, he's amazing. And just getting to see like the real, real pro studio and getting to work in it was awesome. So we played three songs live. We did a couple of takes of each one. They edited the video, put it together, and that's on YouTube on Sweetwater's channel. Mm -hmm. Now, what we're doing this time, and this is what is going to be really cool, we're basically going to be doing a real studio session recording workshop where sean the engineer is uh instructing and teaching i think from my understanding of this it's going to be like basics all the way through so we we're going to show up and we're basically going to be the studio musicians for him to do this stuff with so i guess i don't know if he's going to cover like mic placement and things like that on the cabinet like their iso room and i think it's just going to be a full-on recording masterclass workshop with their engineer and it's going to be our music and you're yeah so you're going to be like the demo band for whatever they're teaching in the moment yeah so so they would be the producer that you're learning if a band came in here and said hey we want to record our music here's how you do it that's really cool i'm really looking forward to that that i'm stressing about the rig because i don't know what to do so what do you mean? I used real lamps there last time. Cause yeah, um, I was thinking that. Yeah. So when we're in the studio, this is another good talking point too. I think um, when we're in the studio, I do use the real stuff and the modeling stuff. Like I'll try to stay as real as possible. Meaning tube amps, pedals, just because the workflow is sp- more spontaneous and faster. Whereas like sometimes I'd have to like pull up a, like click on a block on my laptop, make sure my laptop's around, have it plugged in, try to find what I need. And it just gets a little bit slow and clunky when you're using the modelers. So I do like having my real pedals because there's just something about being able to say, oh, too much high end, boom, just turn the knob. Or I need to change my delay setting and just being able to, that's where Helix really shines also. So for that Sweetwater show that I'm talking about, the one we recorded, I brought my Helix and I was, I was stressing because I'm like, he wants a real amp, obviously, if you have the the means to do so, that's always going to be your first choice. I'm like, all of my presets are set up for our live show, which is a whole nother topic versus live show sounds versus studio sounds. 
So I'm like, do I want to use my live show sounds? Do I want to just tell them set up this amp with X amount of pedals? They have every pedal there. So they right. literally gave me free reign, like send us what you want on a pedal board and we'll build it for you. But I didn't want to risk that because that just scares me. Right. Like I don't, you don't, you don't want to be the guy that's holding things up. So especially like, after you know, you've sent the last few years, like literally as simple as possible, push a button and go and then have this whole palette in front of you and just be like, yeah, it was, it was option paralysis. Like, and it was great. They're literally on the phone with us. Like, all right, so what drum kit do the, does your drummer want? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like we have every kit like imaginable. What, what's his dream kit? We'll build it. Oh my and I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. And I feel like I, not that I blew it, but I felt like I didn't take advantage of that because it's Sweetwater. They have everything. Yeah. But as far as, as far as pedals go, like I need something that I'm comfortable with and can adjust fast. So I literally, and I made a vlog about this too. I took my Helix in with a blank preset, totally blank. And I built my preset on the spot on the floor in real time I remember to that. suit the song. So that's a huge testament to the Helix for on the fly. That's the stuff that keeps me on Helix. As much as I love the fractal, I could never have done that on a fractal. Uh, really? Not even, I don't, I don't think so. No. Hmm. I might have to get another one. I had a HX 500 for, or the HX stomp, whatever that thing was, the HX stomp. I had one for a little while. Cause I remember having a conversation with you about it. Like, is it going to sound any different or is it just functionality and processor speed and all that stuff? And I might have to get another one just to I've see. Got, I, I've got one here. Oh, my pedal board's right here. I've got one on my pedal board right here. Yeah, that's cool. Like this is like what I would take for recording real stuff where I have my pedals, but I also have my, my safety net of infinite sounds just there in case yeah. so what about that versus the quad cortex because you have one of those too right yeah that's right here <laughs> uh-huh do you use it a lot no that's what i thought um it's a fantastic unit it's great it sounds really good the captures are on point with I've a lot of people say even better than Kemper. I've never played a Kemper, but for the captures, I love it. I wish that I could take the captures and put it in the helix. Hmm. That for me would be the ideal setup. I've even thought about like putting this in an effects loop on the helix and like putting this in a rack or something and just having core amp sounds come from this and use it in the effects loop of the helix. But I think it would be a diminishing return for all the work it's worth. I just think that they, and I, I hate to be like a negative person because I'm literally always positive and fair about everything. The community of of, uh, of Quad Cortex is very split between we're just happy with the unit as is and when are you going to give us what you promised? Mm. It's like politics. It's literally mm -hmm. like there's right wing and left wing. There's, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's give us what we promised and there's we're happy with it as is. Mm. I am like, I hover in between because I think that it has a long way to go before it's caught up to a fractal or a helix, but it sounds great. It's got the potential. It certainly has the processing power, but like just, there's just weird things that like, and 
I don't know if I had anything to do with this. This most recent update or the last two updates really corrected about five of my personal issues that I made a YouTube video about where I talked about things in the quad cortex that I can't stand that they need to fix. Yeah. And like five of them were corrected in this last update. So it's getting closer, hmm. but just right now it's just, it's just not there. Just new. It's just new. But, and this is the, this is the debate I have with myself. Am I upset with them for not doing enough homework for not taking what's successful about the Helix fractal Kemper name, your name, your modeler, whatever, take their successes and what they do really well and try to incorporate some of that at just from a workflow standpoint. I, I don't know if I'm mad at them for not doing that or if I'm happy that there's up, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to be happy when other stuff that you have is just able to do so much more yeah. and this can't yet things yeah. that they promised upon launch that you'd have everything with them is, Oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Mm. It could get there. I hope it does. I mean, I bought one, like I paid full price for one, so I hope yeah. it gets there, but it's just not right now. No, that's really interesting, but it's a great unit. I it, don't, don't take this as a, a reason to not go get one. It's great. It's really great. The people that have it and use it all love it. I mean, Kiko Loreo for, uh, um, for mega death is using one. You'll see more and more pros seals mm -hmm. taking one on the road. Like more and more pros are using it, but when I just know what other units are capable of, that's what I expect. Like I have a level of, if I'm using digital, it needs to be able to do X, Y, Z for me. That's interesting because a lot of people, they worry a lot of comment. You'll probably get these in a lot of your comments on your videos too, that people will say, well, what if it becomes outdated in three years? It's not going to be usable anymore in five years. It's not going to, you know, it's going to date out because blah, 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 progress of electronics or whatever. But what's interesting about this stuff is the Helix has been the same since day one hardware wise, right? Yep. The Kemper has been the same um the for even longer for even longer the quad mm -hmm. cortex is the first real new piece of hardware i guess AxeFX has they've kind of bumped along and made changes right um i'm not as much of an AxeFX junkie i don't know much about it as much but um but the helix hardware wise has stayed very consistent and they just continue to update it and making it better and better and better. And now as a result of that, you are actually more comfortable with an older piece of gear because it's more thoroughly flushed out over the last five years. Yeah, exactly right. A hundred percent right. Whereas like, I, again, I, I love the fractal also, but I bought an FM nine and then within two years, the FM nine turbo comes out Yeah, and I'm like, well, shit, like now is mine. I, I get there was a whole chip shortage in that particular scenario, right. but even for the AxeFX three, all the people that have the AxeFX three, a couple of years later, AxeFX three turbo, and then AxeFX three, what's next is Max coming out. So you don't that I, as a buyer, I'm like, do I want to buy this? And then all of a sudden, in two years, there's a new unit, and I don't suddenly have the latest flagship version. And the question also becomes just how much processing power do you need? Because 
what do you need more processing power for? You need more processing power for um, wider digital effect usage, like in a bigger rig, right? But there's going to come a point where the basic processor in a modeler is going to be enough to run two amps, a couple of cabinets, and 20 pedals. And how much more than that are, do you really need anyway? They I all mean, can do that already. Well, that's what I'm saying. So it doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't need to get better. But it doesn't need to get, it doesn't need to be ultimately powerful. It's not like you need to buy this new ultimately powerful thing. What you need to have is the UI needs to be good and the software needs to be supported and all of that. So the hardware, there's kind of a finite top limit to what you actually need anyway. I 100% agree. It's just that it's diminishing returns as far as sounds and capabilities. I think I, I can't imagine how much better these things can get. But I mean, like you said, like you do a capture with the quad cortex, it sounds exactly like the amp that you just mic'd in the other room. I mean, it's how could you put a percentage on? I, I look at it this way too. Like if if you really think that you could hear a difference or feel a difference, I challenge you to a blind AB test as a player. And if you don't go 10 for 10, then you can't hear a difference. That's true. And then One, how many 100%. people would be willing to take that? That's true. It's Everybody funny. would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's true. It's totally true. And you got to go 10 for 10. Because you if to. you go, if you go back and forth, because our brains can act differently from take one to take three to take five to take seven. They can. Um, somebody, we were just having this conversation the other day, uh, or uh, Tuesday when I normally do these podcasts live, because somebody was saying, well, what you really need to do for this video, because you know you get that too, is um, what you really need to do for this video is have a scope and show on the screen what the signal, and I'm like, look, if you can't hear it, why do you need to see it? Because music is hearing. If you can't hear it, there's no point in putting it on an oscilloscope so you can see it. It doesn't make sense. And I think we get too caught up in that. And then the other thing is, well, yeah, but it doesn't feel real. Um, but I feel like that's kind of getting old too. The feel people are the ones that want this next to them. Oh, yeah. They they're used to playing in bands It's usually the older crowd that has been playing with amps behind them for that what 40 years you can't expect them to get the same feel out of something that's now here or coming from the front wedge it's a totally different sensation and i don't get why people expect yeah that yeah you know like why do you expect something that you're listening to in headphones to feel like something you're listening to in a speaker on the floor it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And to be fair, there are more and more uh, venues. And when we're talking about playing live in practical terms, uh, the level the, or the, the amount of venues that can let you play with a 412 cab and a Marshall are just dwindling. Yeah. Um, your amp, your, your tube amp is going to be on one unless it's, now what all the amp companies are doing, they're going to 25 and 30 watt amps. Everything's yep. got power scaling for a reason. Nobody's bringing a hundred watt Marshall to shows anymore. Dude, 
Isn't the Black Star St. James like the bombest thing ever? Yeah. Because, right I, yeah, I have one too. Because it's a proper 50 watt. Well, you have the EL34 one. I have the 6L6 one. You can play it into the computer in a silent room and still have hot. I mean, I can smell the tubes when it's hot. Like it feels real. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just technology is at a spot where we can we can say i just i just don't worry about it anymore i personally just don't worry about it anymore yeah um you know i just black star's doing it right they're they're moving in the right direction there's a european company called hook that that session player from belgium they talked about um they're doing this and i guess i don't know if sir started this because sir has the pt15 the pete thorn 15 watt with the built-in ir load the ir loader built into it and then there's Rev, who is putting the two notes torpedo Captor X yep. on the amp head. There's Blackstar that's got the cab software built into that. This is the future. It is. This will take the place of modelers, I think, too, potentially, because who wouldn't opt for their real tube sound? And I think that's the direction that a lot of the companies are going to go. I think two notes is going to clean up because if they can keep licensing their their cabinet software, I think, is my favorite. If they can keep getting more and more companies to put them underneath their heads, then who wouldn't do that? My two amps of choice right now, I've got the Princeton Tone Master for the low wattage side and the 6L6 Blackstar for the high wattage side. And I can't see any reason to worry about it. It's just like if I need something super, super clean. I've got 50 Watts. And if I want to play what I want to play, which is a P90 into a cranked fender, then I've got that other thing and I can do it in head. We live in an apartment like reality. I think about too reality. I'm the reality of somebody who doesn't play live for 90% of people who lives in a place who can't have a tube amp cranked all the time. And you're the reality of 90% of the touring musicians right now who can't, haul a trailer with them everywhere on a fly date to Europe or anywhere they're going or have to play a quiet stage. Me and you are kind of more real life than most people want to think they are. I guess if that makes sense, like I can't play a loud amp. You can't bring a live, a big loud amp on tour. We're kind of real life. (laughs) Or at least where, at least where things are headed. I mean, yeah, not not everybody has a jam band garage where you and your buddies can get together and turn up your 50 watt amps and, yeah. you know, blow the neighbors away. Like not many people have that or a professional studio that's got a real ISO booth. Yeah, but we have the option to do it if we want. That's what I think is really cool. That's what's gra- cool about the St. James for sure. Yeah, I'll grab this Tone Master and run to an open mic night and then bring it back in and plug it into the laptop and play something, you know. It's kind of cool. Dude, and you could just whip it around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like 16 pounds or something. Um, This has been super fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, hang out with me because I wanted to dive into the whole... Um, I just knew... I didn't know the details, but I could just tell that you and Jessica were doing it different than most people and found a way to build your music business slash passion um, in 2023 in a way that most people, A, wouldn't think of, and B, don't realize that there's multiple paths to do what you love. Um, 
and I've just watched you long enough to know that that's like you had to grind it out, but it's it's there for you. Or, you know, it's building. It's constantly building. And I think it's really cool. Thanks for hanging out with us, man. I, of course, man. I Thanks really for having me. There we go. Sorry about that, y'all. I hadn't done this before. Uh, this whole format. Thank you, Steve, for coming and hanging out and being a part of the chat uh, along with the pre-recorded interview thing. I, this, you guys, if this works like this, I want to do it again. This was super fun. Um, it's kind of hard. I, I mean, we would have live guests, I guess, but it just feels sort of on the spot. I also noticed that I wear the same shirt, uh, which is weird. So maybe that threw you off, but we pre-recorded that the other day. Um, and the same hat, actually. It's kind of weird. Anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, thanks for, for, for coming and hanging out with us. Uh, thanks to Steve uh, for doing that. Thank you to um, everybody who, who watched this thing. Please go check out his channel. There's a link to it in the description of the video. Uh, if you are one of those people that is trying to dip their toes into the digital realm, he had some very wise things to say about how to think about this stuff and how to kind of put it into practical terms. And his channel does that with those videos. So make sure you do that. If you're interested in going to the Sweetwater thing, make sure you do that because that's really, really, really cool. And uh, yeah, man. I really appreciate everybody watching. Make sure you uh, check out. Uh, we've got news coming tomorrow. We've got our live stream coming on Thursday. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of other stuff coming too. So thanks, everybody. I appreciate your time on the Just Gonna Say It podcast this Tuesday. And I guess, uh, yeah, have I plugged all the things? Check out the links below. They help out the channel. Buy some pickups if you want to support the channel directly. Other than that. We will see you. Oh, and let me know what you think in the comments below. Let me know what you think of this format because I would like to do it again, but it's nice to get your input on it as well. Uh, also, if you want to watch this stuff with no ads in replay, uh, there's a level for that on Patreon now. So you can go to patreon.com slash Dylan Talks Tone. And if you want to watch any of this stuff, any of our content without ads, there is ad-free versions starting last week. We're starting to upload everything ad-free on Patreon. So thanks for hanging out. And we will see you tomorrow.